Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. Pastor Kirk Hall is continuing his expository teaching through the Roman Epistle. Our prayer is that God would use this time to help you continue to grow in your faith. Now let's open our Bibles as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to our hearts. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, and we left off last week, we finished up verse 13. We're going to be looking verses 14 through the 22nd verse in chapter 15. And as we look at this, Paul's going to begin to close out this letter. This has been a very extensive study, and he's going to start tapering everything down to a close. And he's going to tonight do so in a manner where he reveals his true heart in writing this letter. He didn't want to seem like he was just throwing his weight around, especially to a church that he didn't start. Many people don't understand this. is That Paul, though he longed to go to Rome, to this church, he had not yet been there. We're going to see, as we've already seen, his heart was to visit them. He's going to share tonight that every time that he thought that he might, things got in the way. and He realizes that that's God's sovereign will and plan. He is eventually going to go to Rome, but under different circumstances. Not what he intended. Uh, He'll go there and he will uh, go there under arrest. But what he's doing as he's preparing to close this out, he's going to reveal his heart behind this letter to the church as, as he has already established as the apostle to the Gentiles. And he is going to reveal his heart in a very encouraging way. Um, he's going to be encouraging them to continue to press on in their faith, to continue focusing on Christ. And uh, he's going to really leave them with some great encouragement and a great example of, of what we ought to be as men of God. He's going to do the same to us today as we study this element of this passage. He's going to give us a huge example because there are many lessons and many principles that we can learn from Paul as he reveals his heart to us. And so we're going to see Paul's heart revealed tonight in what we read and what we study together in our time that we have. Let's jump in there. Romans 15, verse 14. It says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written you boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, he says, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of the signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way to Elyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about Him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming 
to you. He, he tells them, I've been hindered from this because God has other plans. So we're going to look at this and we're going to see that in this, all that, that he just said, which was a lot, he's going to really reveal his heart to these people as he's closing this out and as he wants them to see um, where he's coming from. Because Paul in this letter has been brutally honest. He has been straightforward, in your face, bold, and he has really um, spoken with great authority. But he wants them to understand, I'm not just trying to throw weight around. I'm not just trying to flex my authority that there is a heart behind everything that I have taught you, everything that I have commanded you. So we see that he starts out in revealing his heart, uh, showing us that he had a heart to, number one, encourage believers. Verse 14, he starts out with encouragement. He said, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. He notices this. You see goodness there. That is speaking of their moral character, goodness. He's saying, I, I'm commending you for your goodness, that you have good moral character. And that he recognized that God had brought forth this good moral character in the things that he had heard, the reports that he had received. And he also then goes on to say, but also I want to commend you because you have knowledge, this knowledge of sound doctrine. And then he goes on and he encourages them in the area of their ability to accurately teach. He says, you're full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. He's wanting to make perfectly clear uh, to the church at Rome um, that even in his boldness, in the letter that he wrote to them, and as he approached them with authority and with that boldness, um, I don't want to leave out the proper encouragement that's due toward all believers. And he especially wanted them, those believers there at Rome, to know, hey, I want to encourage you with something. I'm not just here telling you your business, I've heard about what, or telling you the way you ought to handle your business, I've heard about how you're handling it, and I want to commend you on that. So he took um, what he had heard that God was doing in their lives, and then he encouraged them with that. He had a heart to encourage the body. In fact, if we will get past Paul's sternness much of the time, and see that even in his sternness, in all the letters that he wrote, there is a heart behind everything that he says. And that heart was to encourage this body of Christ and to encourage the body of Christ as a whole. First Thessalonians, which we know that Paul also wrote, chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We see there words of encouragement. Um, to the church at Thessalonica. Paul is giving those words because that's who he really is. Second Timothy, we see some more encouraging words from Paul. He's telling young Timothy to preach the word there in chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke. 
And then he goes to encourage. And encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He's encouraging Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy to encourage. And so Paul is revealing to the church at Rome his heart for encouragement toward the believers. He was doing this in two ways that he notes. By what he's seeing God is doing in their lives first. right? He, he had obviously gotten word from other believers that he has come in contact with who have come from Rome. And they said, Paul, we have to tell you about their goodness. And, and we have to tell you about how they are devoted to sound doctrine there at Rome. And, and we also have to com- commend them on, these guys are getting it. Some of them have a giftedness and an ability to teach the Word of God. And Paul is seeing what God is doing in their lives, and he's encouraging them to keep on keeping on. We ought to do that as men of God in our lives, shouldn't we? Uh, when we see God working in another brother's life, uh, we ought not to get jealous of God working in that other brother's life. What we ought to do is we ought to say, man, I see what God's doing in your life and how He's gifted you. Keep keep pursuing His will for your life. Keep being focused on His Word. Keep being focused on the goodness of God that lives in you. Continue to be focused on sharing the Gospel and teaching the Word. We ought to be encouraging one another in the body of Christ. Remember, this is all still coming off the heels of everything that He's taught us about unity in the body and how there should be no division. Now we see him actually doing those things as he begins to close this letter out. He stops for a minute. It seems like he just totally changes streams, but he doesn't. It's definitely, you know, continuing on the theme that he has already established. He's saying, I want to stop for a minute and I want to encourage you because you need encouragement. He was looking into their lives, seeing how God was moving and how he was using them, and he wanted to stop and encourage them by what he had heard what he had from the eyewitness of others uh, been given an account that they had seen that God was doing in their lives. We ought to be looking in our brothers and sisters in the faith. We ought to be looking into their lives. We ought to be watching them. And when you see God use them, don't stand in the corner and pout and say, why doesn't God use me? Praise God and say, God, thank you that you're so big that you use all of us for your purpose and your glory in the body of Christ. And then go to that brother or to that sister. Say, I noticed what you said. I want to commend you. You brought glory to God in what you said or what you did. Keep on keeping on. I'm praying for you. Do the same for me. Wouldn't that be amazing if we would operate like that in the body of Christ? Uh, Something as simple as this. When we see people in different ministries in the church, maybe they're on our lawn team, maybe they're on our cleaning ministry, to see them and say, hey, thank you so much. And I try to every opportunity I have. You know what most people say? Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it is a big deal. When we come in on a Sunday morning and the building's clean, when you drive up and the lawn looks like a professional landscape company took care of our building, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a professional landscape company. It was this body of Christ doing what we're called to do, and that is to serve God and to serve others, to encourage and to say thank you so much. Uh, because because you're here and, and you're out here and you are mowing the grass or you're running a weed eater or you're running a vacuum cleaner, guess what? The ministers, the pastors of the church, guess what we can do? We can study the Word so that we can teach you, so that we can encourage you, so that we can all keep on keeping on. There's no, remember as we've already learned, insignificant part of the body, is there? We all have a role. We all have giftedness. We all have a part. And that part is so that Christ 
can be glorified, and so that the body of Christ can be edified and encouraged. So he saw what was going on in their lives, um, and he encouraged them for what they were doing. He encouraged them to continue on. Um, by what we see, we can encourage other people. Uh, but what about this? By what we know that God desires to see in their life. That, that brother who you can see that God is working in his life, sometimes before he even notices it, right? We who have been in the faith a little longer, we begin to see someone's gift begin to come to the surface even many times before they even see it. To go to that brother and to encourage him in what God is desiring to do in the future. Um, it's, it's interesting, most of the time when young men come to me and they say, Pastor, I really feel like God's calling me to preach. My response to them is, what took you so long? We, we've been noticing this in your life. We've been seeing how God has been developing you. Of course, I say that in jest. But we, we've noticed that for a long time. Isn't it good to see God's plan come together? Now, here, here's what we do. I encourage that young brother to take the next step. Okay, what are we going to do to make sure that we're obedient and following God's call in our life? Somebody comes and says, hey, I want to be a missionary to Africa. Well, what are we going to do? How can we help you? so that you can be and do what it is that God wants you to be and do. Let us minister to you and encourage you so that you can actively pursue the will of God in your life. Paul was re revealing his heart to encourage the brethren. My prayer is this, that we would have a group of people who had hearts to encourage the brethren. That this brother would encourage me, that I would encourage this brother, and so on and so forth, back and forth, so that we will be fulfilling uh, what God intends for us to do, and that is to encourage each other in the body to be and to do what God's will is for us to be and to do. So we see Paul begins with his heart to encourage other believers. Verse 15, we see this. Not only did he have a heart to encourage other believers, and, and let me say this, a true heart for God will uh, have a desire to encourage other believers. If you're a person here and you say, I have a heart for God, but yet you don't have a heart to encourage other believers, you really don't have a heart for God. Your heart for God is going to want to encourage other believers. But secondly, he goes in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. Paul's going to take some time here to remind them that he not only has a heart to encourage believers, but he also has a heart to emphasize sound doctrine. And that's what he's doing. He's reminding you of some things. Maybe they knew some of these things. Maybe they didn't know some of these things. But Paul knew that part of his responsibility was to emphasize sound doctrine. He desired to remind them of the things that we can so easily forget. Mainly, we, we saw it when we were there, he was reminding them in a big way of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Along with many other doctrines that we know go along with those doctrines, the doctrines of grace that we see that Paul taught on constantly throughout Romans, reminding them and, and, and reemphasizing to them the importance of sound doctrine and sound theology. Why did he do this? Well, Martin Luther understood it like this. He said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget. We all need to be reminded from time to time about sound doctrine, what sound doctrine is and what sound biblical teaching really looks like. Paul is doing this. 
We've, we've seen him do this throughout the study. And he's reminding them, I know that I have, you know, brought these things to your attention and I have written very boldly on some of these points, but I'm just reminding you of the things that we need to remember. And I'm reminding you of these things because of the grace God gave to me. We know part of that grace that God gave to him was to be an apostle to the church. Paul says, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing my job in reminding you of sound doctrine and emphasizing that sound doctrine. First Timothy chapter 4, we see Paul's heart there in verse 16. He says this in verse 16 of First Timothy. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. First Timothy chapter 4, prior to this, he says, if you point these things out, talking about sound doctrine to brothers, to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Paul was adamant about teaching the church good and sound doctrine. He wanted them to be suited with that doctrine, with that theology, so that they could teach others just as he was doing. He served as an example of how we as believers should emphasize sound doctrine. I told you, gentlemen, every single one of you, that when you began this study, you were going to be more doctrinally sound than most pastors who stand in pulpits in this country. And I assure you of this, all of you who have endured this study up until this point, and have embraced the doctrines that we have seen, you are ahead of the game. You are more doctrinally sound than most pastors and pulpits in America because it is a dying thing. Paul wanted to emphasize sound doctrine. He served as an example of sound doctrine, and he reminded them of sound doctrine. How did he do it? He did it with boldness, didn't he? That's what he said. He said in verse 15, I've written... I've written you quite boldly on some points. He knew that. I want you to understand this. Paul is not apologizing for his boldness. Nor should we ever apologize for our boldness in teaching and preaching sound doctrine. We've got to teach and preach sound doctrine with all the confidence and boldness that we have in God and in His Word. We've got to stand there and boldly proclaim and not worry about the, the critics or the skeptics or the enemies of the Scriptures. We ought to preach and to teach the Word of God with passion and with power and boldness and confidence. Isn't that missing in modern so-called Christianity? The missing element. Also, I'm not apologizing for being bold. I have preached to you boldly and taught you boldly so that I can emphasize to you once again and remind you of the importance of sound doctrine. We live in a society, unfortunately, where there's not a lot of thought given the doctrine and being sound. In fact, many people say, I'm not interested in doctrine and theology at all. I'm only interested in Jesus. Or maybe I'm only interested in your children's programs, right? People go to churches, they're like, we go to that church. I love to hear these things. We go to the church because they have a great children's program. I hope that's never said about us. Though we want to have decent programs. I hope people say, we go to that church because their doctrine is sound. Because they unashamedly and boldly proclaim the word of truth. They do not compromise the Scriptures for anyone or for anything. Paul was emphasizing sound doctrine to them. He said, I know I've come across as quite bold. 
But I'm not apologizing. He was emphasizing sound doctrine with boldness and without apology. And just as we saw, a true heart for God will desire to encourage other believers. A true heart for God will desire to emphasize sound doctrine. It will desire to emphasize sound doctrine. If you have a heart for God, you want your theology to be sound. You're going to do what it takes so that it is. You're going to devote yourself to week after week after week of, of a study in Romans where we go verse by verse and line by line and word by word. You're going to devote yourself to Sunday evenings where we, we talk about theology in a course entitled Theology Matters. Why? Because theology matters. It's going to matter to you. Why? Because you want to be sound. You want to represent God as God desires that we represent Him accurately. Paul wanted the same thing. Verse 16, we see this. As we move to the third element of his heart that has, is being revealed for us tonight, we see that he had a heart to encourage believers to emphasize sound doctrine. But then we see he also had a heart to expose false doctrine. Verse 16, it says, he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus. He said, God gave me grace to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an, an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might read that at face value or out of context and say, what would that have to do with exposing false doctrine? I can tell you this, that Paul spent a lot of his ministry confronting, confronting false doctrines that had crept into the church that wanted to actually leave the Gentiles out again Make them, we can read the whole book of Galatians, where the, he, there, were, there were people in there teaching heresy, telling them that they, they had to be circumcised and they had to observe the law. Um, Paul saying, no, those doctrines are false. He's saying, I have a mission here. My mission is to include the Gentiles in the grace of God. And in order to do that, he had to keep confronting false teaching. And people who, who wanted to somehow push the Gentiles out, because that was... The nature of the Jew. Did you know that? God loved them. He didn't love anyone else. And He had promises for them. And no one else was to be included in those promises. However, as we have seen, even Hosea testified to the fact that that is not true. That God has always had a plan for the Gentiles. And through Jesus Christ and His grace that He showed us at the cross, the Gentiles have been included into the promise of Abraham that we saw way back when we were there in Romans, looking at the promise of Abraham. Remember, he said, not all Israel is really Israel. But it's all those who come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. So Paul was not only emphasizing sound doctrine constantly, but he was also exposing false doctrine. Now, we can't emphasize sound doctrine without exposing and identifying false doctrine. Please be aware of that. Don't feel bad about that. When you hear something, someone preaching something that is heresy or something that is false teaching or is not doctrinally sound, be aware of that. Don't be afraid to tell another brother, hey, stop listening to that person. Stop reading that person's books. That person is a heretic. That person is teaching false doctrine. Don't be afraid to do that. Paul was not afraid to expose false doctrine. In fact, he was very bent on identifying those wolves in sheep's clothing. And even at times, 
Paul himself called them out by name. I've gotten in trouble before by people. Well, I just wish you wouldn't call them out by name. Why? If it's a wolf, call him a wolf. Even if he's dressed like a sheep, he's a wolf. Because if we play around with a wolf, he's going to bring down other sheep. Call him by name. Paul was exposing false doctrine as well as emphasizing sound doctrine. In fact, it's a theme of his ministry. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul knew this. He wrote this to Timothy, verse 3. He says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myth. That's 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. Paul knew that this was coming and he addressed it. How did he know it was coming? It was already there. He addressed it to Timothy. He said, man, be careful. Be careful because there's going to be a time where men will not put up with. We know that that word is to endure. We started this study. What did I tell you? You're going to have to endure this study. Because there's going to be so much doctrine. Doctrine is not easy. Because sometimes doctrine, it challenges all of our presuppositions, doesn't it? Right? What we were raised to believe, what we were raised to think. When we get into a doctrinal study, when it's not your grandma telling you how to believe, or your grandpa telling you how to believe, or your pastor that you loved when you were growing up telling you how to believe, now it's the Word of God confronting those issues head on, exposing, even in your life, maybe you embrace some kind of unsound Teaching. Because I can guarantee you this. Wherever there is truth, there is the enemy who is trying to alter truth so that he can lead people astray. Paul was bent on exposing false doctrine. He served as an example of how we should expose false doctrine in the church. How? Confront it. Confronted. Paul was never scared to confront false doctrine. He confronted false doctrine over and over again. But he didn't just confront it, call it bad. He didn't mind correcting false doctrine. So we have to confront false doctrine, call it what it is, name it. Even if you have to name the individual who's doing it, but then correct it. Why is that wrong? Somebody's going to tell me that I'm doctrinally wrong about something, the next question I'm going to ask him is, biblically, why would you say that? If they can't give me any grounds biblically, I'm not going to listen to a word they say after that. But if we can confront this false teaching and false doctrine and then say, here's why it's false. With that type of teaching, we might actually be used by God to rescue that brother who is teaching that or who has fallen off into that type of false doctrine. Paul saw this as a need in the church. In fact, when he says and he takes his role seriously that, that he is the minister or the apostle to the Gentiles, he was defending the fact that God had included them by grace so that the Gentiles, as he said, there might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There were people constantly trying to get in the way of that in the early church. Paul said, no, God has given me grace and He's given me grace as the apostle to the Gentiles and I'm going to expose every single false teaching that excludes them from the promises of God. Because he knew this, as he has already taught us in Romans, 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What was he saying? The Jew or the Gentile. Whoever is brought to faith by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, given that faith by God because of His grace to believe and repent of their sins, he says they can be saved. The end. For it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So he emphasized sound doctrine, but he also exposed false doctrine through that emphasis, he corrected the false doctrine that the church faced. Titus chapter 1, he instructs here, and he says this in verse 7, Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Verse 8, Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. Right? He emphasized sound doctrine. Watch what he says next. And refute those who oppose it. Paul's heart was, I want to emphasize sound doctrine, but I'm also in my heart not afraid to refute sound doctrine. He's teaching here in Titus, and he's saying the same thing to any overseer, anybody who would be in charge with overseeing the souls in a church capacity and leadership. He's saying that you need to guard sound doctrine, and you also need to refute those who are in false doctrine, those who oppose sound doctrine. Paul did just this, and he encouraged others to do the same in the church. He had a true heart for God, and his true heart, for God is shown here in the fact that He's not afraid to expose false doctrine. You have a heart for God, you have a heart for truth. You have a heart for truth, you're going to emphasize sound doctrine, you're going to expose false doctrine. Stop letting liberal Christianity make you afraid of doing that. This is the standard by which we teach. The inerrant, infallible, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, all 66 books, equally infallible, equally equally inerrant, equally inspired from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. We can stand in this. And I promise you this, when you stand in this, it will never fall. Why? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Just as Isaiah proclaimed way back in the Old Testament. Again, we know Peter reiterates it for us in the New Testament. That the Word of God is not going anywhere. That's why we make our stand. Remember I told you at the beginning when we covered sola scriptura, how important the doctrine of Scripture alone is to sound doctrine. Where do we get our doctrine from? We don't get our doctrine from Brother Lovejoy at the Crooked Creek Missionary Baptist Church. Watch this. We don't get our doctrine from Kirk Hall at Key Life Fellowship in New Caney, Texas. We get our doctrine directly from God in His Holy Scriptures. That's it. If it's found in there, we stand on it. If it's not found in there, we refute it and we expose it. And we do not apologize for doing that. Why? The spiritual well-being of the sheep is at hand. You have to see the seriousness of that. So many pastors approach teaching the Word of God with a flippant attitude. No, I want to search the Scriptures and I want to put in the hours and I want to put in the time 
And I want to see what those who have gone before me considered orthodox and sound in doctrine and teaching. And I want to adhere to those things. Why? Because I'm responsible for those who were under my care. Now, here's the thing. Shouldn't all of you be making disciples? Then there is someone who is under your care. And you must do your due diligence to emphasize sound doctrine and to expose false doctrine to those who you are discipling. They come to you and they say, man, I was listening to a Stephen Furtick uh, podcast. Do not apologize when you tell them. Stop listening to that garbage. It's not. Everybody's looking at everybody. It's not orthodox. It's not sound. Or when they say, I went to a Benny Hinn crusade. Stop going to Benny Hinn crusade. Why? Because it's not sound. It's not orthodox. He's a charlatan and he's a thief. And he's stealing weak-minded, weak Christians. He's stealing from them. Don't be afraid to say those things. You say, well, Kirk, who do you think you are? I'm a nobody. But I know what the Word of God says. And I know what's true. I can stand in the Word of God, and here's the good news about standing in the Word of God. When I stand in the Word of God, three stand with me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are one, and they cannot be defeated. Paul is not afraid to do this. To expose false doctrine, to emphasize sound doctrine. Pardon me. If I'm not careful, I might preach tonight. The next thing that we see is he moves on. He's encouraged them. He's revealed his heart to encouraged. He's emphasized sound doctrine. He's exposed the fact that he's not going to stand for false doctrine. How many of you Gentiles in the room are thankful that Paul stood and said, no, the Gentiles are included in this promise. The Gentiles can be saved as well by grace through faith in Christ. And that alone, just like everyone else. In fact, he went all the way back to Abraham. said Abraham was saved by grace through faith in Christ. So are the Gentiles. Everyone who's going to be saved, that's how they're going to be saved. That's the only way that they're going to be saved. We've seen that as we studied through Romans, haven't we? I'm thankful that before this Gentile ever was, there was an apostle to the Gentiles who stood in my corner. He stood in my corner and he emphasized sound doctrine. He exposed false doctrine. If false teachers in Paul's day could have convinced the early church to return back to Judaism as they tried to do, all of you Gentiles in this room, you'd be in trouble. But it was Paul who took a stand on sound doctrine. It was Paul who went back to the Old Testament and said, no, but the prophets have said this, as he quoted them, including the Gentiles and what God's future plan was. Remember the whole discourse that we saw? Where he said, I'm going to call a people who are not my people, my people. And he went back to Hosea and he grabbed that. Why? Because he was sound in his scriptural knowledge and he took that and he built his doctrine off the Word of God, not the traditions of the day. Moving along, we see the next thing, the next element of his heart. Verse 17. He says, Therefore, because of this, because of what God has entrusted me to do by His grace, what He has accomplished by my obedience and following Him, and encouraging others, and emphasizing sound doctrine, exposing false doctrine, he says this, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God 
by what I have said and done. You think Paul put the emphasis on himself here? Catch what he says. His heart was not to elevate Paul. Paul knew this. Right? As we saw in Romans chapter 7, Oh, what a wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He knew that his only hope was the fact that he was delivered by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And we see here that he has a heart, fourthly, to elevate Christ. He wanted to glorify God by giving credit where credit is due. What would happen in the church if that became our heart? To give Him all the credit because He's due all the credit. The whole purpose of the life and the calling and the ministry of the Apostle Paul was Christ. In fact, the whole purpose of the life of a true believer will always be to edify and to elevate Christ. Just as Paul has given us that example. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the Word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Paul's whole life was an offering to Christ. His whole life was an offering to Christ. His whole purpose was to edify Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, we see it again as he speaks of Christ in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul was concerned with elevating and edifying Christ and giving him glory above all things. Psalm 105. The psalmist says this, Give thanks to the Lord. Verse 1, Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. The heart of Paul was to rejoice in the Lord who he had sought and to bring Him glory to elevate Christ in everything. Paul did this. Paul served as an example to all of us on how we should elevate Christ. How? How did he do it? His service. He did it in his service. Thanks be to God you always, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through, uh, through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. He says, although He leads us along and He takes us different places, He takes us different places so that He will be noticed, so that He will be glorified, so that He will be famous. Not us. Him, so that he will receive all of the praise by the things that we do. Everything that Paul did was for Christ. What an example to us. Oh, the time wasted in our own endeavors. Well, I know, not popular in a church culture where we can have our endeavors and have service to the kingdom of God as well. Can I tell you this? That's not 
biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is the fact that your whole life is now hidden in Christ. Paul's whole life is Christ. His service, his speech, right? The things that he said when Paul wrote, when Paul talked, he didn't take credit for anything. He didn't say, look at me, I'm Paul, I'm somebody. No, he had already been a somebody through the religious eyes of Judaism. And he said, all of that stuff that, that, that I had accumulated thinking that I was something, he says, it's all rubbish. Rubbish in comparison with knowing Christ. Rubbish. All of his human accolades and achievements no longer matter. What an encouragement to us in seeing the heart of Paul. He was there in this world to elevate Christ by his service, by his speech. Everything that he did, everything that he said. Not much more to us, is there? What if we saw Paul's heart as we're seeing it tonight? And in our lives, we duplicated that type of devotion to the Lord. Everything is Christ. Everything. What we do, what we say. We point others to Christ. It is a heart that elevates Christ. I want to challenge each of you. I want to challenge myself. Are you doing that? Are you doing that in your life as an example of those who you are discipling, teaching them? That this whole life, my whole existence, everything that I do, everything that I say, is to elevate Christ. It's not to put money in my bank account. It's not to store up wealth for my retirement. It's not to purchase my next house or to achieve my next goal. Well, I know there are many people in so-called churches who will sell you this as a package deal. You can have your best life now and you can have Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. You can't. You can't. Because for the Christian, our best life is in eternity. Eternal life. Our life now is Christ. That's what Paul said. He said to live is Christ. To die is what? Gain. The only way that your life can be anything more than Christ is You're not in Christ or you have already entered into eternal life in the presence of God. That's the only way. Paul was an example of a life that elevated Christ in all things. All things. You say, well, Kirk, I'm not a preacher like you. How can I I elevate Christ in all things? Bubba might say, "I, I run a tire shop. How can I elevate Christ? Be an example of Christ and how you conduct your business, how you treat your employees, how you treat your customers, how you use that as an opportunity to share the gospel with those people. When that person comes in who doesn't have enough for that set of tires and God has blessed you a little bit more uh, this month, you know what you can do? Hey, I want to cut you some slack on those. Uh, and the reason that I'm doing that is not because I'm a good guy, right? Because everybody gets caught up in trying to get people to think they're a good guy. None of you in this room are good guys. There is none good, no, not one. The goodness in us is Christ. That's why it's important that we live in Christ. Oh no, I'm not, I'm not helping you with your tires because I'm good. I want you to know that I'm helping you with your tires because I was the exact opposite of good. 
when God showered His grace and His mercy upon me and He saved me from the wrath which was to come because I was a sinner. There was nothing good in me at all. But Jesus, out of His goodness, out of His graciousness, died on a cross to rescue me from my sin. And it is a blessing that I have to be able to do this for you only because of Him. You see how you can elevate Christ in your lives? Right? We use that as a cop-out. I'm not standing in a pulpit preaching. Every one of you has a pulpit. It's called your life. Are you elevating Christ in your pulpit? You have to ask yourself that. What an example Paul gives us. Go back and just study on his life a little. If Paul was in the church, he was pointing people to Christ. If Paul was in the synagogue, he was pointing people to Christ. If Paul's on Mars Hill with a bunch of pagans, he was pointing people to Christ. When they put him in prison, he preached Christ. He praised Christ. Think about that. Every situation that we see Paul in after his conversion, what did he do? He elevated Christ. And he's showing his heart to the Romans here. He's saying, I know that I've had to come at you with quite a bit of boldness, but my heart true heart is to elevate Christ. And isn't that true from all of the testimony that we can gain throughout Scripture and throughout history that that was Paul's heart was to elevate Christ. And it will be the heart of a true believer. Your heart will be to elevate Christ in all things. The next thing that we see in verse 19. He says, By the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elyricum. He says, I have fully proclaimed the Gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the Gospel where Christ was not known. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about Him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming you. We see the next aspect of Paul's heart is this, to evangelize the unbelievers. He says, I want to come see you guys in Rome. I want to visit with you. In fact, we know this. He wants to take up an offering for other churches. But he says, I've been hindered to coming to visit you guys because I am so focused on evangelizing the unbelievers. Paul had a heart for evangelism. We as men of God must also have a heart for evangelism. That is reaching the unreached with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't want to attempt to re-evangelize Rome. He knew that's already been taken care of. In fact, he starts this discourse tonight. There's capable people there. There's capable people who who I see their goodness. I see their sound teaching. They're, They're able to carry out the task of the New Testament church. You guys keep on keeping on. He started with encouraging them in those areas. He was concerned with evangelizing the unreached people of his day. And leaving the task of the local church there in Rome to the local church there in Rome. Paul had a heart for the lost. It's very evident that he had a heart for the lost. He had a heart for lost Israel, didn't he? We, we, we see that we, when we were studying Romans way back, we saw that. 
He had a heart for, for those of Israel who were still lost and in their sin. In fact, he even was so bold that he said, I would give up my salvation if possible so that you could have it. That's the kind of heart that he had for the lost, for lost Israel, but also especially for the Gentiles who he was called by God's grace to minister to. And he had a heart to reach those who had not heard the Gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. He tells Timothy some instructions and he says, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. That is the responsibility of all of us who are Christians here today. Now, I understand this. There are some who are especially gifted with the gift of evangelism. But we are all commissioned by God to evangelize in sharing the good news. Remember way back, you and Galleon, the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are lost and in need of a Savior. Paul is, again, giving us a great example of what that looks like. Here's what it looks like. A heart to evangelize the unbelievers, number one, wherever He leads. From Jerusalem all the way to Elyricum. It covered approximately, watch this, 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles. That doesn't sound like a lot today when we fly and when we drive. Paul walked those miles. So Paul walked those miles and not just because, oh, I, I felt like going on a long walk one day. He desired to evangelize unreached people. He went to where the lost people were to share the Gospel with them. That ought to be our heart. You say, well, man, you don't understand, Pastor. Um, Man, I work 80 hours a week. I don't get hardly any vacation. There's no way I can go to where the lost people are, really. You can go to where the lost people are at your job, at the factory you work in. Oh, I work by myself. Guess what you can do? You can support missionaries who take the Gospel to unreached people groups all around the world. You can get involved in evangelizing the lost. I assure you. In fact, if you are a true believer, you will have a heart for the lost. Why? Because you once were lost. And someone, as we learned in Romans chapter 10, had to tell us and preach to us the Gospel. You can't get saved without the preaching of the Gospel. How will they know lest the preacher tell them? Well, the answer to that rhetorical question that Paul gave us in Romans chapter 10 is they won't know. We have to get involved in evangelizing the lost. Paul had a heart to evangelize the lost. And boy, did he. You are here today as a Gentile again because of the apostle to the Gentiles' heart to reach the lost. His desire was not to reestablish on someone else's foundation, as he said. He wanted to go where the Gospel had not been yet. Even if it meant walking 1,400 miles on foot, facing persecution, Ridicule and scorn and suffering and imprisonment, torture. Watch this, even death. Even death. They eventually chopped his head off because he wouldn't shut up about preaching the gospel. Because he wouldn't stop being driven to go to new places 
to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to people who had not yet heard. Yet we won't walk across the street to share the Gospel with our lost neighbor in a perfectly safe environment. Not 1,400 miles, but 14 steps. Now, I don't say that to beat you up. I say that because it is a reality. I say that to encourage you to not miss out on the joy of being obedient in the area of evangelism. Paul was obedient. It brought him great joy to be able to do those things wherever the Lord led him. And whoever needed to hear. I love that Paul didn't call anyone, did he? He didn't call anyone. If they needed to hear the Gospel, he preached the Gospel. It would take him before magistrates and governors and authorities. You know what he did? He preached the Gospel. I love the Apostle Paul's heart everywhere that he went. You need to shut up saying these things, Paul. Paul would then reply with, I was on the road to Damascus. I was persecuting Christians. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ and by His grace He saved me and He washed me and He cleansed me. And He'll do the same for you. I told you, Paul, shut that stuff up. All I can tell you is I was on the road to Damascus. If you don't stop, we're going to put you in prison. Okay, he's in prison, he's chained to someone, and the guy says, what are you doing here? Paul says, all I know is I was on the road to Damascus, and I was persecuting Christians, and I was signing death warrants. I was a murderer. And Christ graciously saved me. He never, ever, ever stopped evangelizing the lost with the truth of the Gospel that he had received by the grace of God there on the road to Damascus. Whoever needed to hear it, whenever they needed to hear it, Paul always had a heart to evangelize the unbelievers. As I've said about all these other aspects of his heart, I'll say this about this one. A true heart for God will have a desire to evangelize the lost. Desire to evangelize the lost. In fact, you'll be chomping at the bit. If you're not comfortable sharing the Gospel, you'll want to get comfortable sharing the Gospel. You'll be asking, how can I effectively share the Gospel with my coworkers? How can I effectively share the Gospel with my family members who are lost? How can I share the Gospel? You'll be asking that question. Oh, I love it. People come to me, I'm not comfortable sharing the Gospel. None of us are. That's the most awkward thing in the world. In fact, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolish to me in my flesh that I can tell a 2,000-year-old story about someone who died on a cross. And when I begin to tell that story, all the Scripture that I have stored up in this pea brain just begins to come to the front of my mind. And before you know it, that person that I'm talking to is hearing the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and how He came to this earth as an atoning sacrifice to die as a substitution for them and to bear the wrath of God in their place that they deserve and how we are all sinners and we're separated from God. And unless God intervenes by His grace, we'll all spend an eternity in hell because that's what we deserve. And in the moment in preaching that, all of a sudden, this person is driven to their knees saying, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of this Jesus. It makes no human sense. But isn't it what we're called to do? I love when someone comes and says, I'm not comfortable. Sharing the Gospel. Good. 
Because you'll depend on the Holy Spirit when you do it. And the Holy Spirit will do what only He can do. Here, let me share with you a few Scriptures. You read these Scriptures. You memorize these Scriptures. Well, I don't memorize very good. We'll just read through them a few times. He'll do the, he'll do the handling the Scripture part and the calling it to your remembrance. I promise. You might not get it all right. You'll do like me, right? I don't know how many people I've been able to talk to and share the Gospel with on a one-on-one basis and they come to know Christ. And I told them that if they'll just believe what John 16.3 says, because I have a bad habit of transposing numbers. But you know what? Even in spite of me, the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed in the lives of those who He is sovereignly regenerated. When He does that. Because those numbers, they're only important to find where it is. The important part of John 3.16 is that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When they hear that, God begins to open their eyes. He begins to open their deaf ears. He begins to quicken their dead souls to life. And in that, they then are given faith because of God's grace to believe and to repent and to cry out to Jesus, the only One who can save them, that He would graciously save them. And when they do, it is the most glorious thing in all the world. It ought to be the heart of all true believers to see people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So what a heart that we see emphasized here in Christ, and Paul, excuse me, as an example to us in Christ. He had a heart to encourage believers. Let's learn from that, guys. Look for that young believer in the church who's only been saved for a few weeks. Pat him on the back, hug his neck, say, Man, I'm praying for you. Stop right in the hall, say, Hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Is there anything I can help you with? When you see him do what he needs to be doing, keep pressing on, brother. When you see him struggle, hey, man, I've struggled too. I'm walking this path with you. Let me encourage you. Get back up and just trust Christ. It's all under His blood. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just keep trusting in Jesus, man. It's going to be alright. He's going to carry you through. He didn't start this work in you to just drop it. Be confident that He's going to complete the good work which He has started in you, in Christ. Encourage that brother. Emphasize sound doctrine. Emphasize sound doctrine. If you're going to emphasize sound doctrine, you better learn it. Better know it. How many of you guys have been in this study since the beginning? Anybody here not missed a day? How many of you have been here for most of the days? A lot of you have been here for most of the days. Remember these things that you've learned. Revisit the things that you've learned. Emphasize in your own life, in the life of your family, in the life of others, sound doctrine. Expose false doctrine. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to expose it. You can do it with kindness. You can do it with gentleness. Right? Isn't that how we're supposed to approach it? Do it with patience. Right? Be patient with an ignorant brother. Why? Because you were an ignorant brother at one point in time too. Be patient with him and take the time to show him. You know, that's what some people think. Don't be afraid to say this like the rest of society now. That's what some people think, but they're wrong. Well, what makes you right? Nothing makes me right. But God's always right. Let me show you in His Word what His Word says. Then, expose that false doctrine for what it is. False doctrine. The only way to cancel out a lie is what? The truth. Know the truth. Show them the truth. Elevate Christ. Elevate Christ in everything. Everything you do. Everything you say. Paul is only following the example of Christ here. 
We're following the example of Paul. We're looking at his heart tonight because his heart was a heart for Christ and to elevate Christ. So let's elevate Christ in all that we do. Then evangelize unbelievers. Evangelize unbelievers. I'm thankful for this lesson tonight that Paul would stop, begin to wind this letter down and close this letter out, that he would take the time to reveal his heart to us. If this was a man just like you, just like me, just like the brothers in this room, but he was a man who encountered Christ, and who had a heart for Christ, and who had a heart for his church, and a heart for his calling. I pray that we would be those kind of men in our life who have that kind of heart. What a heart and what an example that we've seen tonight. May we strive, just as Paul was striving to have a heart like Christ, may we strive to have a heart like Christ by seeing the example of Paul who had a heart that beat it and a heart that was consumed with the things of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be those kinds of men. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for Your Word. And we thank You that it's true. Not just some of it. or Not just parts of it. All of it. Lord, we thank You for the Apostle Paul. And for the encouragement that we have received in studying this letter that he wrote to Your church. We thank You for Your grace that You showed him. Bringing salvation to a persecutor of the church and an enemy of Christ, who You graciously desired to save. Lord, we thank You that You saved Him and that through His influence we can even still look today, see His heart, see His example. Lord, we would ask, Lord, let us see that example, not just acknowledge it, but let us be taught by it. Let us be encouraged by it. Let us see it as an example of what we as men of God ought to be every single day of our lives. Lord Jesus, we thank You most of all. Because were it not for You, there would be no Paul. There would be no salvation. There would be no forgiveness and eternal life. But because of You, we rejoice today. Because of what You did for us at the cross. Without You, we're nothing. You are only hope. And we give You all praise and honor and glory. Be with these men as they leave. Encourage them as we've been encouraged tonight by Your Word. Encourage them by Your Spirit to be obedient in their lives to the things that we have learned tonight. May You receive all glory and honor and praise. May we elevate You. May we exalt You everything we do and everything that we say. May we look for the opportunities to share the good news of our glorious Savior with those who have not yet heard. And may You bring a harvest of souls as we proclaim the Gospel. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.